Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Follow us on Twitter, Thundercast underscore pod. Russ, it is here. The final game of the 2023 football season is on the horizon and right around the corner for the herd. And of course, that is the Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl. So we are going to give you guys a preview of what we know and what we think we know and who really knows when it comes to bowl games nowadays. Both teams that we do know have suffered some portal losses. And, of course, nobody that has come in from the portal is going to be playing in this game. So you really don't really have a great idea of what either team is going to continue to look like, even based on what they did in the regular season. So in that vein, we figured it would be a good idea to call in some of the big guns that have uh, more intimate knowledge of UTSA, far more than we could. So in the back half of this episode, you'll catch um, the guys from Alamo Audible uh, that we invited to do a little Q&A with us so that we could get some good insight on them. But for now, Russ, we do know this. It's the Frisco Scooters, um, or the, the Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl, uh, Tuesday, December 19th, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And it also says ESPN Plus. So I'm guessing you're going to have access to it also if you don't have a cable package. Uh, and of course, we know we're playing UTSA, who is an eight and four team, seven and one in the American. They started out one and three, though, and then ripped off a seven and one record to close out the season. That last game of the season was their lone loss in the final eight, and that was 29 to 16 at the hands of Tulane. And if UTSA wins that one, they go to the American Athletic Conference Championship game. So they had a lot, a lot on the line there. ESPN Power Index not really liking the herd. 32% chance to win for the herd, of course, all the way out in Texas where this is basically a de facto home game for UTSA. I don't really care how far away Frisco is from San Antonio. I mean, hey, it's a lot closer than it is to Huntington, West Virginia. Herd is now plus 12. Opened plus 8.5. It's moved all the way up to plus 12. Over-under on this one now is 52.5, which puts you in that 42 to 30 score range if you're into that sort of thing i'm going to get your synopsis on the game what it looks like for you but i'm going to bring everybody up to speed here real quick before you jump in and start talking about this one we don't usually have to do this but we do now what do we know about the herd for this one there's been a lot of movement in the portal a lot has changed in the coaching staff so what do we know well we know this cole pennington will be starting at quarterback for the herd uh, the offensive line will be without Trent Holler. We do know that number 22, Rasheen Ali, made the trip and is expected to play. And the receiving core will be without leading receiver Caleb Coombs and youngster up-and-comer tight end Sean Salas. Both hit the portal. The defense, though, should mostly be intact, if not completely be intact. And the special teams unit, along with its All-American Jaden Harrison, is also intact. So... That's what we know about the herd right now from a player standpoint. 
We do know this. New offensive coordinator Seth Dagey will be there at the game to be around the guys and, and things like that, but he will not be coaching. He will not be calling plays, so that leaves a lot of folks to wonder who exactly will be calling the plays. We also know that n several new, if not all new, assistant coaches have been hired to fill all the current vacancies, but none have been announced because we're waiting on HR paperwork, background checks and things like that. You know, they got to cross the T's and dot the I's before you can make anything official. So having said all of that, player standpoint, coaching standpoint, Russ, what does this game look like to you? Well, it looks like an uphill climb from uh, Marshall's point of view because of all those changes. You know, you're down staff members, you're down coaches. We've got people that can step up, obviously, but it's a lot of change in a short amount of time. You get 15 practices before this bowl game. Uh, we just in the middle of this saw the uh, QB1 enter the transfer portal. We had already lost uh, one of the anchors on the offensive line to the transfer portal, the tight end that uh, had stepped up to be probably the number two tight end as far as receptions and targets were going uh, at the end of the season, enter the transfer portal, like you said, and the number one receiver as far as receptions go into the transfer portal. Down that many coaches, down that many players, totally new look. From a fan perspective, we don't know what the offense is going to look like at all. It's an uphill climb. This is a good team that we're going to play, so – uh, we can do one of two things. We can show up and just go through the motions, or we can do what I think the herd is always going to do is put up a fight and use this to uh, really test themselves uh, and their resolve. And Coach Huff said, locker room's fine. Mm -hmm. They're they're on it. They, they're, they're ready to go. Uh, it's just, can they put together an offensive game plan with all of these changes in that short amount of time that will lead to a victory? That's the big question. Yeah, and we've got to talk about some of these things a little bit more in depth, right? Because we've seen pieces of this team be uh, the same as what we're going to see, but not all of these things at the same time. We've seen the offensive line have to play without Trent Holler. We've seen uh, Cole Pennington start at quarterback. We've even seen games without Rasheen Ali. So luckily, that's the big one that we were all kind of wondering for a long time, and and the and the, the the messaging was out there. You know, we've heard we heard Huff say things like, "Everybody that is, uh, you know, like making the trip," or I can't remember what he said, but he alluded to the fact that Ali hadn't said he was declaring for the draft yet. He hadn't entered the portal, which. He, and he didn't opt out. So it was kind of like, well, he hadn't said anything. Why wouldn't you think he's playing? But you know how it is. People are going to speculate. And that was the biggest probably question mark that, that got put to bed was 22 made the trip. I saw the tweets earlier of him climbing on the plane, walking out of the zone, that type of thing. And and it it's going to happen. So, mm. but we've seen a lot of these things. Now, the, the, big, the big plus other than Ali playing is the defense has had time to rest and get healed up and, and get rid of some of those dings. And being that they're fully or – I don't know fully because I don't know if everybody's going to dress, but I haven't heard any – there's been no opt-outs, right? We know that. And there's been nobody hit the portal uh, that we expected to have a big impact in this game, right? We know Porter's going to play. We know Eli's going to play. Most, if not all, of that defensive line's going to play. Micah Abraham's making the trip. The only one that I haven't heard about either way 
is J.J. Roberts because I said, remember in the finale, he needed to play, and he didn't play, and we still won. So I haven't heard anything either way about J.J., and it just goes without saying, like, if he is part of that defense, they are a better, more impactful defense. So hopefully he's a go and makes the trip. But all these young DBs we saw cutting their teeth all season long in the middle back half of the season, this is where it starts to pay a little bit of dividends, right, because they're not youngsters anymore. They've been in the fire a lot, and they've placed – played some pass heavy offenses they played some run heavy offenses so they've they've got their they've had their feet in the fire enough that you probably feel pretty comfortable about them being in the right place at the right time philosophically though here's here's one thing i did hear huff say he was talking about those practices and you're right there's there's important we said they used the first i think six for for young young player development you know they were getting the reps and that kind of thing so uh not everything was you know, the the Owen Porters of the world going to play their last game, getting the lion's share of all these practices. They did, I mean, they're going to get the lion's share, but they dedicated a good chunk of practices to younger player development that's going to be back. So something to keep an eye on because you might need it. You know, you might be digging deep into the depth chart with a lot of guys hitting the portal and, you know, other guys not maybe not being available. It's just something to keep an eye on, right? Mm-hmm. So who the hell are we actually playing? Well, the Roadrunners, right? UTSA, and they've we've got a handful of players that we're going to talk about because it's easy to look at some of the stats, but um, they are not going to be the same defense, first off, that they probably were all season long, and we'll get to that and the main reason why when we talk defense, but let's start with the offense, and it starts with number zero, which I, I picked up during the, um, the, 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 the discussion with the um, – uh, Alamo Audible guys, it seems like they do their numbering system like you got to kind of be a stud player if you want to wear a single digit. Did you catch that when they were saying yeah. that? So they a lot of that, these, yeah. yeah, a lot of these guys, these offensive guys, the three that we're going to highlight, all are single digit guys, and one of them on defense is a single digit guy. So it starts with the quarterback Frank Harris. He's been there for a long time, and uh, I said that he probably owns about every passing record at UTSA because they're such a young program, 13 years old. And, and the guys were like, Oh yeah, he does Uh six foot two Oh five, obviously super senior. He's been around two eighteen out of three thirty six on the season, 2,506 yards, 18 touchdowns versus eight picks. He has been sacked 16 times. So you can get to him, but he is elusive because he is a true dual threat quarterback, 86 carries on the season for 323 yards, another four touchdowns on the ground for Frank Harris. That's good for fourth on the team in rushing. So he can make some things happen with his legs. Number four, running back Kevorian Barnes, five foot nine, two twenty. He's a sophomore, leads the team in att- rushing attempts and yards, 139 for 698 yards, six touchdowns on the ground, good for second on the team, and a 5.0 yard per carry average. And we're going to highlight one wide receiver. There are many, and you'll hear the guys talk about him. Number two wide receiver, Joshua Cephas, six foot three, 185, another guy that's been around just as long as Frank Harris. Uh, 82 catches for 1,049 yards, nine touchdowns through the air, good for 12.8 yards per reception. I'm going to go right through these, Russ, from talking about defense, and you can just give me some thoughts at the end. Uh, back to the single digits, number zero safety, Rashad Wisdom. Five foot nine, two ten. He's a senior. Leads the team in tackles. Actually tied for the team lead in tackles with 58, 47 of those solo. He leads in that category. Two sacks, one forced fumble, and four passes defended. Now go to number two on the team, which is actually tied for number one on the team in tackles. Number twenty-one, 
defensive back. Ken Robinson, 5'11", 185, also a senior. You catching a theme here? He, uh, 58 total tackles for Robinson as well, 36 of those solo, and three passes defended for him. Then you got a couple of linebackers. Man, if these guys aren't mirror images in the second and third levels, I don't know what to tell you. Number 10, linebacker Martavius French, 6'3", 225. He's a junior, 56 total tackles. One solo, I'm sorry, one sack and three passes defended. Then the last one we're going to talk about, another linebacker, Jamal Ligon, or Ligon, 6'2", 225. Also, he's a senior, though, 56 total tackles for him. So you got two DBs leading the way with 58 total tackles, then two linebackers nipping at the heels with 56 total tackles apiece. Also, one sack, a forced fumble, and a pass defended for him. The big question mark for UTSA on the defensive side of the football, Russ. Their best player defensively, the best defensive player in the American Athletic Conference by an award standpoint, linebacker Trey Moore, American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year, portaled out, and he will not be playing in this game for UTSA. How impactful was he? He was down the line a little bit, maybe fifth or sixth in total tackles, but he accounted for 14 of their 40 team sacks. This guy wreaked havoc all over the place. Now the last one we got is the place kicker, number 82. Might as well call him Mr. Automatic, Chase Allen, 6'2", 195. He's a junior, 13 of 15 on field goals. He was perfect, 6 of 6 from 40 to 49, and 1 of 2 from 50-plus. He missed another one somewhere in that 30 to 39 range, but he's pretty good from distance. Long of 53 on the season and a perfect 44 out of 44 on extra points. Russ, these guys have got playmakers up and down on both sides of the ball and in all three phases. What are you worried about when it comes to this UTSA team? Well, I'm worried about them uh, putting up a lot of yards. They can do it on the ground uh, with three running backs plus a mobile quarterback. They can do it through the air with a lot of weapons on uh, the receiving core. They have a lot of seniors on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. They are 0-4 in bowl games, which uh, we'll talk about with the Alamo Audible guys. But uh, these are seniors that have been here a long time. Last but not least, uh, the quarterback, uh, Frank Harris. I feel like they all, being seniors and most of them being here for the duration together, um, they really, really, really want to come home with a, a, a bowl win. You know, since they do not have one in their short program history. I'm also, there's a guy that uh, was left off on the defensive side because he's down a lot in uh, in tackles, but he has 13 pass deflections on the year. Passes defended. He is um, only got one interception, but he might be that guy that throwing over to him, you know, he's just going to wreak havoc the entire game, breaking up passes and things like that. So, um, we talked about our offensive question marks, mm -hmm. and they have a heavy defensive second level that, uh, uh, or senior heavy second level, I should say, on the defense. Um, some playmakers back there. It's going to be a very interesting matchup. Yeah, it, it most certainly is. And, and I'll tell you what, for, for a team that, they play, they don't play, I wouldn't call it stellar defense, right? But they play really, really solid defense. Like, there's not really a weakness. It's not like they're going to smother you. Like, you know, we 
and this is not a direct comparison or anything like I'm just talking about a team that we saw Marshall face and James Madison. They had a really stifling defense. Like it was hard to do anything against them. But this team, like I said, they had 40 sacks on the year and 14 of those were accounted by one guy. He's not going to be playing. Then you're talking about uh, interceptions, just nine on the entire season, 11 forced fumbles and just seven fumble recoveries on the season. So the impact plays, are there, but they're not like, wow, man, they really knock the football loose or they really turn you over. But when you got a guy that, like you said, has 14 passes defended, that's just solid defense. You know, they might not turn you over, but, you know, they're going to make sure you earn every yard that you get. So this is going to be a very hard-fought game for Marshall. And I'll be honest with you, it's it's honestly nothing that we're not used to seeing, right? Because we've seen this herd offense struggle a lot all year long. So we might be in, an, in for another one of those street fight type games, provided that we see a top tier effort from the defense. Because this UTSA team has checked a lot of boxes. These seniors have checked a lot of boxes for themselves, right? They've been conference champions in, in Conference USA. The like they they've won all kinds of games and set single season records for wins and things like that. But what they haven't done is win a bowl game. And you know that's the one thing that these guys want to do, particularly these seniors and particularly a guy like Frank Harris who is playing in his final game ever at UTSA, and it's going to be in the state of Texas, and it's going to be in front of a large contingency of Roadrunners fans. And maybe they are even a little PO'd that they drew a 6-6 six and six Marshall. Let's be fa- let's be honest, man. I mean, we, we root for our team because, well, we love the herd, and, and we – you know, even we thought we deserved a better location, not necessarily a better opponent, but a better location. Well, they might be saying we deserved a better opponent. You know, we were one win away or, uh, you know, 13 points, 14 points away from being in the American Championship game. Maybe they're looking at us going, we deserve better than that. I don't know that they are, but maybe they are. So how about some keys to victory, Russ? What's your number one key to victory for the herd in this one? Create a new identity and own it. We are going to look like a totally different team, in my opinion, with uh, just the, all the question marks that, that surround this offense. You know, um, nothing on how we played down the stretch with offense. It's since that final game, we're down three offensive coaches. We're down our QB1. We're down uh, 20% of our starting offensive line, a guy that's played in the majority of snaps and games over the last two years in Trent Holler. Uh, a receiving uh, threat from the tight end room. Uh, we are down uh, leading receiver in receptions. All of that, it's going to be what identity are we going to have? Well, we got to create it. We got to own it. We got to stick to the plan. We got to execute to be able to put up offensive numbers because this is an offensive team that we're playing. So we're going to have to score more points than them. So whatever it is that we have, we're going to have to create that new identity. And I, I really hope that we had enough time to do so. So, yeah, it looks like this, this is setting up to be like a very, very run heavy game plan for the herd, right? Because they know they're going to have Rasheen Ali. They know they're going to have Ethan Payne. They know they're going to have AJ Turner at their disposal, right? And you're without your pass catching tight ends because while I saw that Cade Conley was on the trip, I don't know if he's playing or not, right? 
And he's, he was the main receiving threat outside of Sean Salas. Matillo will catch the ball for you a little bit, but that's one guy. We haven't seen Soto catch the ball that I can recall this year. So, you know, you got one tight end receiving weapon that has played meaningful action in a receiving, you know, responsibility, right? So it just feels like maybe they're going to run, 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 and just see what they can do here, you know? Uh, you've got the great Rasheen Ali. You might as well utilize him. This is his last game in a herd uniform. Now you're not going to do anything to jeopardize his future, obviously. But you're probably going to lean pretty heavily on him. And I think back to the New Orleans Bowl a few years ago against Louisiana. He was the best player on the field, man. I mean, he was. And, and we we didn't have a whole, whole lot going on in that game, right? We ultimately lost that bowl game. But he was the best player on the field. And I, and I, don't, I think that for the first time, maybe outside of, a team like App State that had played Marshall and Rasheen Ali before, that that maybe put a put him on the radar for a lot of Sunbelt fans, thinking, dang, he is actually kind of the real deal. Well, we got him for one more go, and I and I think he probably wants to have a really special game too. You know, if you're if this one doesn't matter to you, then you probably just go, you know what? I'm gonna draft prep. I'm I'm gonna get ready for the East West Shrine Bowl. But no, he said I'm playing. So I, I expect him to go out there and, and give us one final classic Rasheen Ali performance. So my number one key to victory is uh, Rasheen Ali has to go out with a bang. What's your number two? Number two is to force interceptions of Frank Harris. Two games this year where he had more interceptions than touchdowns, only two losses in the games that he played. That's a good point, and that's a nice stat. Uh Mine also, my number two key to victory is is defense related, but I think it relates more around the 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 Marshall run defense because they've got UTSA has four runners, uh, and Frank Harris is the fourth of those, and he has three hundred twenty three yards. They've got four guys or three other guys over four hundred yards, two guys over five hundred yards. You know, their leading rusher is just under seven hundred yards. So it's not one. They're always going to have a fresh set of legs coming into the game, and we heard those guys talk about that with us. And that's, you know, that that's worrisome to me because if we see any semblance of the Marshall run defense that appeared in the beginning of the year, that is not a good scenario. But if it's the latter half of the season, Marshall rush defense, you feel pretty good about that. Right, so trend. If you're going by a trend, well, you you would expect a much more stout run defense performance from this herd, and I think that's what we have to have. We have to have that late season Marshall defense effort in this bowl game to either keep it close so that we can have a chance to win it in the end, or just keep this thing from getting out of hand. If they hit a few early through the air, and we then all of a sudden they can just run the football you know, put the lights out because it's going to be over before it even gets started. So what's your number three? Contain Cephas and Ogle Kellogg, their top two wide receiving threats. Uh, I feel like if you can limit those guys, contain them, prevent them from having, especially Ogle Kellogg seems to rip off a 57-yarder, a 70-yarder, a 48-yarder. If you can limit those big plays and um, contain them, not stop both of them, but you can contain them, I think that that will make them more one-dimensional uh, on the running game, and that may lead to uh, them having to force some of those throws that will help with forcing those interceptions that I talked about. Yeah, that's the that's where the young DBs come into play right there. You know, um, excellent point. For the for me, I'm going straight to 
QB one in this game, and and I'm going straight to Cole Pennington, and he's he's charged with making his first ever start in his first ever bowl game, right? That's got to be a big deal to him because um, it would just be a big deal to any quarterback. You know, these are the things you watch growing up, and you think one day I'm going to start a bowl game, and he, this is his opportunity. So to that end, we have to see Cole Pennington play very well early and find consistency all day long, right? Because in, in both of his starts, it was early interceptions and putting himself behind the eight ball. And while he responded well, right, he responded well and ultimately played pretty well, you still got to dig out of that hole, you know, both both from a scoreboard standpoint potentially, from an execution standpoint, and maybe a little mentally. Now, the great quarterbacks can just put that out of their head. But still, this is a this is more than just a regular game. It's a bowl game. It's his first one. It's special. So what we'd like to see is some consistency all game long, but playing really, really well early. And that's why I really think that this is leaning towards that run-heavy game plan. You know, ease him into the game, get him some easy throws, that kind of thing. And then, you know, if it starts working, we see how it goes. Uh, what's your number four? Number four, I've used this one a couple of times this year, is find five TDs. I think that you've got to find them. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a pick six or a scoop and score, um, punt return, kick return, anything like that. Find five TDs. I feel like if we score 35 points, obviously that helps you win the majority of your games. But I think that it is going to be necessary to somehow find a way to score five different times. And again, we're talking about what is a new look offense here, putting this uh, offense together for this bowl game. Yeah. I think it's going to actually take, you know, more than five TDs because these guys look like they can put up numbers, you know. But you're right. If you don't get at least five, I, I can't see this herd and let, uh, limiting UTSA and their explosive offense to just 21 points. You know, I think that would be utterly amazing if they were able to do that. But that, that would have to probably take several two, three, four, you know, type, turnovers maybe a couple that even result in a score for you to be able to do that my last one and we've alluded to it several times the young dbs must hold their own you know there's a you got a, the ultimate faith in micah abraham playing his final game most likely you think he'll be notched and, and lined up against cephas all game long so that's going to be a great battle a, a great game within the game you know two seniors two high performing seniors going toe to toe with one another J.J. Roberts, again, for me, is the wild card because I just don't know if he's playing. I hope he is, but if he isn't, it puts a little bit more pressure, you know, on, on uh, Deonnie Hill and, and Jacoby Henderson and Amir Foster and, the, and those guys to just play a little bit, little bit more lockdown, right? But if J.J.'s there, it just allows those guys to be a little bit more loose and do what they uh, can better do because he is just so daggone athletic and, and so all over the place, you know? Um, do you have an MVP in this one? I do, and it's Rasheen Ali in his final game in a Marshall uniform. I see him uh, getting the lion's share of the carries. I, I see uh, him in the Thundercat, as we've come to call it, um, the Wildcat package. I see him doing a little bit of everything in this game, and uh, I think that he's going to be playing with a purpose, not only uh, – 
personally for his final game, but also to show everyone else on a national stage one more time before going to the East West Shrine Bowl. This is who I am. So I look for him to have that second gear, maybe even that third gear in the breakaway and late in the game, as we've liked to talk about with him. And I see him uh, putting up some big numbers and being the MVP. I'm with you, man. Rasheen Ali's my guy too. I think it sets up that way. Um, I'm 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 going. You know, I'm feeling like well over a hundred yards. I'm feeling somewhere close to that 150 range, and you know, maybe that that classic stamp at three touchdown performance that um, that we've just been accustomed to seeing. We've been spoiled to see a lot. And you're right. It's not just about this final game in a herd uniform. This is the only game on TV that night. So that there's going to be a lot of eyeballs. There's going to be a lot of professional scouting type eyeballs on these games. And that's a type of uh, player or this is a type of opportunity that will allow you to get further up on some radars or maybe jump onto some radars. Now we've seen all 32 teams uh, come to the Joan and, and scout practices this year, but you know, this is different. This is game speed. This is against a really good uh, defense. So, you know, you go out and you put a put a show on and then you put another show on in the Shrine Bowl and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're staring down the barrel of a much better situation than you were in just a month ago, particular perhaps. Uh, how about a score prediction? Yeah, so I can't wait to be wrong. I want this to be bulletin board material and, and be proven wrong. I always hate picking against Marshall. Um, I think that it's a little too soon for the turnaround to overcome all of this that you have to overcome with the offense, with the coaches being uh, out and, you know, four of your offensive uh, production guys being out. Uh, I see 34-24 UTSA. But I do see Marshall putting up a hell of a fight and just coming down to a score that puts it out of reach with a few minutes to go in the game. Yeah, it's that's that's good, man. I didn't I don't have it that high, right? But I, I, I know it could be that high for both teams and beyond, really, because we just don't know what we're looking at until we get into this game. And I didn't even consider Ali being in the Thundercats. But that makes even more sense to go along with what I had been thinking might happen, right? And we've seen big plays out of the Thundercat with Rasheen Ali. Uh, but it's too late in the game for me to change my score now, so I fully intend on being incorrect. And again, I too hope that I'm wrong, but I think UTSA is going to capture their first ever bowl victory. I got it 30-17, to 17, but based on some of the things you were saying, I feel like I should have gone higher. Um, but again, I'd love to be wrong. I would love to, to see the herd come back to West Virginia, uh, winning a game in a state in and of itself. That's historically been difficult for Marshall to win in, let alone a bowl game and let alone a bowl game against a team from Texas. I will be the first person to call myself out on Twitter and say, gloriously, thank God I was wrong. Um, and, and it's not like I'm betting against the team or anything like that. It, it's just, this is a very, very hard game to win. Even without the changes, this is a good UTSA team, uh, with Trey Moore being out on their side, that's really the only person that they've lost. And we've lost four plus three, uh, offensive coaches and a defensive coach. 
so it's just a lot in a short amount of time. And uh, I have faith, man, but it's one of those things that it just doesn't seem like it's going to be their game to play. And when they, when they prove me wrong, can't wait to send pizza to everybody or something like that and say, <laughs> you got me. Good job. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. My favorite thing is, will be when people hear this and they go, see, you guys are, you guys were, you're, you're, you're betting against the herd. Dude, I don't bet first off. And, and yeah, you got to call it like you see it. And I, it's, it's just too many question marks. That's, that's yeah. it. There's too many questions, not enough answers. You know, if, if some of these things didn't happen, you know, if there was, and I can't point to any one guy, right? But it's just too much. You know, you might be able to weather the storm if it was just a receiver or just, you know, but it's a quarterback, your starting quarterback, a starting offensive lineman, four coaches. I mean, dang, man, where does it end? Because there's that's that's a lot to push through. And these guys have been working their tails off. Mm -hmm. And Huff says they're good and they're locked in and they're, they're focused. Like you said, they're going to give it everything they got. They are right. fully capable of winning this game. And I, I, Coach Huff obviously has the open invite to come on here and dog walk us if they win this oh, yeah. game for telling them, you know, and tell us, like, you guys didn't have the faith. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, that'll be the best taste in crow I will probably have eaten in a long, long time. Put me in a dunking booth over at the Joan or something <laughs> afterwards, you know. But uh, I do want to say before we move on to the segment with Alamo Audible, it wasn't on my keys to victory on here, but I, I look for uh, Cole Pennington to uh, impress a bunch of people. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, we talked about it wasn't necessarily Cole when he came in. You know, just so much was going wrong with the offense and 10 games in a row and mm -hmm. the injuries and different things going on. I, I look for Cole to actually uh, put up some good numbers and a good performance in here to get some confidence leading into this offseason and everything. Not that I'm saying he doesn't have confidence right now, but any time that last game of the year when you're moving into the offseason, when you finish on a high note, to me, that's just a confidence builder. Well, that's a good point, right? Because now, for the first time ever, you'll get to see him with multiple weeks of preparation. The, mm -hmm. the game plan is focused with him at quarterback, right? I mean, yeah, yep. we had that a couple times during the season, but not everybody was healthy or as healthy as they could be right now. Their guys are, well, I just think we'll have a better indication of what he can do. And, and because it's also not his first start, he's been in the fire before. It's a good point. You know, we, I, I'm with you. I think he'll impress as well. A lot of people, because there's already been a ton of people that have been impressed by him anyway. Sure. So having better command of this offense, having uh, more time to prepare, having his strengths accentuated. How many times have you said it? A lefty QB versus a righty QB in real time trying to make those changes. It doesn't, it, the math don't math, right? So now they've got two weeks to do things the way they want to do them and we'll see how it goes. But look, on the other side of this break, uh, the guys from Al <clears throat> Alamo Audible were nice enough to spend some time with us and give, a, give us a deep dive and some synopsis insight and insight into the UTSA Roadrunners, the guys, the team that they love so much and follow so closely. So uh, when you come back, you'll see Jared and Adrian and get all you need to know about the UTSA Roadrunners from the guys at Alamo Audible. But now let's get a word from 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Our roads are full of uninsured drivers. When they hurt you, 
your insurance company can become their insurance company. Insurance companies take your money every month, but they fight you when it's their turn to pay. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from uninsured drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. In the midst of this Scooter's Coffee Frisco Bowl preview, we thought, you know what? It would probably be a good idea to get some experts on UTSA to come help us out because, well, hell, why shoot in the dark when you don't have to? So we called upon the guys from the Alamo Audible, and they were nice enough to accept the invite. So now we've got Jared and we've got Adrian with us to give us the lowdown on UTSA which we all know is a really good team and has been over the course of the last two, three, four-ish years. They've really been building this powerful-type program. And I think the testament to that, guys, and, and I'm sure you can agree, even though it keeps you on the edge of your seat a little bit, every time there's a damn job opening, HC's name gets thrown around for a candidate spot. Mm -hmm. And most notably, this time it was Texas A&M. So when you got those kind of conversations going on, you're doing something right. So welcome to the Thundercast. Jared, Adrian from Alamo Audible. Yeah, thanks, Katie, for the warm welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Uh, couldn't have said it better. I think a lot of people, they, they don't deal well with the anxiety, but it's a lot better than having your coach on the hot seat every year. Right? <laughs> so we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, man. That's the life of where we are is either they're coming after your coaches or you're mm -hmm. looking for new coaches. But It's better to receive a buyout than to pay one. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll tell you. I, 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 I dig that. I dig that. Look, man, we've got a, a big bowl game coming up on Tuesday. Uh, the Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl. The herd landed in Texas that none of us herd fans saw coming. We didn't. We all thought we're going to Charlotte. We're going back to Myrtle Beach. We're going to land somewhere in all these East Coast-based Sunbelt Conference Bowl tie-ins. And out of nowhere, bam, at the 11th hour, it's Frisco. Uh, we've got a little familiarity with UTSA. Brief little history. A couple games here and there. Haven't locked horns since 2018. All of our games have been really competitive. There's been no blowouts either way. So it's been a few years for moved from a game. Players have come. Players have gone. But the standard, the, the, the man that still remains is quarterback Frank Harris. We're going to talk about him a little bit. We're going to get some of these weapons out of you guys on this UTSA offense and UTSA defense. But let's talk about the season. right? Really good season. I don't know from your standpoint if you thought it was um, below expectations or right on par. Eight and four, and right there up until the very end in the hunt for an AAC championship title game bid. So talk to me about the season. Did it, did it meet expectations or did it fall a little bit short for the fan base, you guys in particular? That's a great question, man, you know, because it could yeah, be argued – it could be argued either way, and it's an open debate. And, and I don't think either side would be wrong, to be quite honest with you. For me, whenever we look in the grand scheme of things, uh, our expectation for the UTSA program, you know, in August, in the preseason, was for them to go to New Orleans in the regular season finale and play Tulane for a conference championship appearance. Now... They did just that. In order for that game to matter for a conference championship appearance, you had to be perfect in the AAC going into that game. 
UTSA did not lose a single game in the AC. They went on the road against the defending champ. You got to beat the champ to beat the champ, as Jared likes to echo all season long. And that held true. That was a really good team. We were there in New Orleans. And UTSA played far from their best football. But they played really well. They were competitive in that game. But they had to go in that game for or undefeated for it to even matter. And they did just that. Um, so that was really the grand scheme of expectation. But whenever we go back to September and we have the start that UTSA had at one and three and out of conference schedule and one and three and in a really poor manner, just not the style that we've been used to watching from the UTSA Roadrunners in the back-to-back conference USA title years where we had a high-flying offense that scored a lot of points, seemed to be in sync in rhythm. Here they're coming for their uh, super, super season or super, super senior season campaign, uh, Frank Harrison Offensive Company. And so we had high expectations for them to just come out absolutely electric in that game against Houston. We expected a win against Army. We wanted to at least have uh, some moments of respectability in, 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 the, in the mountaintop whenever we had to play Tennessee. We didn't get any of that. We were really bad, really sluggish, really slow on offense. That was brutal to watch. It was a hard pill to swallow. This team wasn't the same. They weren't healthy, and really what it came down to. But that loss against Houston in particular, I think, is what gives fans the debate to say whether or not it met expectations. Because we wanted to go up on a national stage where a lot of people were talking about Houston. I think we had meet meet on game day that morning, that game day morning. We were going to be in Houston, um, and we're essentially superseding them. We're, we're, we're successing them, I'm sorry, um, in, in the AC. We're taking their place as, like, you know, the big Texas school. It's got a lot of expectations on it. Um, and we wanted that triple overtime, double, triple overtime loss from last season back. Losing that game in the man, which we did, just really, really slush. Uh, that hurt, man. That was bad. It was a really bad September. I, I would hear the I would hear the argument either way that due to that one and three start, it didn't meet expectations. But for me, honestly, I think they did. I think they met expectations. Like eight and four is nothing that any UTSA fan should gripe about at all. Yeah, I'm with Adrian on that. I, the the record and like the last result of the regular season is exactly what I had expected. Uh, it's just the manner in which it played out was way different. I mean, I really thought this team would have beat Houston, and I think they should have beat Houston. We didn't really fully understand Frank Harris's offseason injury concerns, I, I think, until we saw him in that game. It's like, oh, this guy was in a wheelchair a month ago. Okay, that kind of makes sense where he threw three interceptions and three possessions, right? Uh, definitely a game that UT should have won. A healthy Frank Harris, they went comfortably, I think. Um, and then that home loss to Army was just so weird. I mean, it was by far Army's best performance of the year, and they just ran all over a really tough UTSA defense that's great against the run. And, like, we still can't explain it. You know, just football. These things happen. Uh, but after that, they took their their lick at Tennessee, and they got that payday. Uh, and then from there, they just turned it around. And uh, it was a good showing, man. A lot of um, adversity came along the way with, with injuries and all that kind of off-the-field stuff. And some new guys stepped up. Some freshmen showed out. So, overall, definitely a, a very successful season in my eyes. And then they had the chance to go and, and hit that ninth win, win their first bowl game in, in program history. So if they, they're able to pull that off on Tuesday, uh, it's really the cherry on the top. And at that point, I think it's, there's no argument that's a, a, success, a successful season for the Roadrunners. You know what? You mentioned, go ahead. With, within the, se- the season within the season, starting one and three and then ripping off seven and one. Dude, Marshall went to the polar opposite, right? Yeah. They started out really strong, lose five in a row, and then have to kind of 
duke it out for those final few games to get bowl eligibility. I think if those tables were turned uh, and, and Marshall has a seven-game win streak and not a five-game losing streak, we're seeing a whole different ball game here. Mm-hmm. I can see exactly where you're coming from. Russ, I didn't want to cut you off, but I just noticed that kind of opposite thing that we had going on between our two teams. No, it's fine. Uh, in that one and four or one and three start in those first four games, the last two losses in the last two games of that first four, Frank Harris doesn't play. Uh, in your opinion, Frank Harris plays in those games. What's your record then? I think they definitely beat Houston for sure. The Army game was so weird. We we've discussed this on our pod before. I mean, the Army game was so weird. I I don't know. If Frank would have made a difference in that one, they definitely would have scored more points. Uh, but it was like Army just had UTSA's number in that one. Like they went for it like eight times on fourth down and converted all eight of them. Like just got like one inch that they needed every time. Um, so I, I think maybe that game, it was just the Black Knights night, right? Uh, but I think they definitely would have beat Houston and we'll probably be sitting at nine and four. I, I don't think they would have beat Tulane if that early season would have gone different. Uh, yeah, it's hard to say, but. Um, well, I think so they definitely get the Houston one. We he, had, he we played... had Frank Harris in Houston. We had Frank Harris yeah. play in the Houston game. Yeah. Um, he was just probably at, gosh, 50%, 60%. Yeah, he really, really beat up. Yeah. yeah. A healthy Frank Harris, I think, beats Houston. Um, but, he, but he was in that game, and he played in that game against Texas State the following week, our home opener, which we barely scraped by. That's a rivalry game. We won by one possession against Texas State team. Um, and then, which – Granted, they ended up being a pretty dang good team this season. But lost to Army, lost to Tennessee. Frank was not in. Um, however, you know, it, it feels like that Army game was one that got away despite Frank's absence. There's no way this UTSA team beats Tennessee. Even if everyone's at 100%, I think it'd be pretty unprecedented. Uh, however, maybe there's some good moments. I mean, they showed that last season. We went to Austin, Texas, and had some really great moments. Even went up a, a couple of possessions against a, a really good Longhorn team. Now, Frank Harris being in the Army game, yeah, made a difference without a doubt. But UTSA had the roster, I think, to beat that Army team. They just they just didn't look very good. They just were playing really well. And defense, um, probably had their worst performance of the season tonight. Really couldn't bring down any ball carriers. Uh, our, our tackling was a really, really bad glaring issue probably throughout that entire September one and three run. We were really fortunate to get a bye week after out of conference play, sitting at one and three, where this team kind of really hit reset and had nearly two, two and a half weeks to rehab and get fully healthy. So you get back, you know, Frank Harris, that was maybe 50 to 60% the first two weeks of the season. Now he's probably closer to 75, 80%, which is a tremendous difference. Frank Harris, I think you probably could argue that he got more and more healthy as the season progressed this year. Uh, but that was really a turning point, man, was, was UTSA being able to take two weeks off from playing a football game and sort of get everything right, probably mentally as, as, as well as their physical health. Yeah, it, it, we know the rigors of a football season can just take a toll. And it's so odd. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a player got healthier as the season went along. That's definitely something that's a totally new concept to this guy. We know that our guys all took a constant beating all year because, as we mentioned, 10 straight games, that just wears you out. You know, you guys were pretty close to that. You had a, a, a bye week after game four, so you still had to run along 
a long laundry list of games as well. But look, let's kind of zero in on this Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl a little bit. It's a de facto home game for you guys, man. It's in Frisco, Texas. It ain't nowhere close to West Virginia. So by default, it's a home game for UTSA. Uh, we expect a large contingency of fans to make the trip because, well, you guys do a good job of filling the Alamo Dome, right? And for such a young program, I mean, what are you, 13, 14 years old? As a football program, I mean, the mm-hmm. fan base that is built, it, you know, it helps. Yeah, San Antonio is a pretty big population. But there, we've seen other colleges in other major cities, they can't put a blip on the radar. And UTSA has done it in a very short amount of time. That's something that should be applauded, honestly, because it, it there's, there are schools that are trying to build a fan base that have been around five, six, seven, eight decades, and they can't do it. So that in and of itself is something that UTSA should be celebrated for. It's very, very impressive. But let's let's focus in on this game. We talked about quarterback Frank Harris. We know he's a great player. He's been around forever. You call him the super, super senior because, well, he's been there, what is it, six years, seven years now. But he's the, he's got 2,500 yards passing, 18 touchdowns on the year, uh, just eight picks. He's been sacked 16 times. Was that? Would you say more of those came in the early season before he started getting healthier as the season went along, or did it just kind of was the same throughout? That's a good question. I don't. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to check the distribution on it. Um, I think a lot of it is uh, just shuffling on the offensive line. Okay, has been a bit of a problem for them. Uh, they have a lot of guys that play out of position on the offensive line. Um, that had an all-conference right tackle who in 2021 got hurt like the first drive in the season over against Houston. And then the exact same thing happened to him this season as well, right? So that kind of started the domino effect of guys moving. Um, They had a a young guy move to center. He was originally guard. They moved the starting center out to tackle. Um, And then, you know, of course, they rotate guys. They've had other small injuries along the way. So I think just by nature of, guys not having a ton of chemistry and a lot of snaps together on the offensive line. I mean, as you guys know, if you had the same starting five all throughout a season and then for multiple seasons, it has a multiplying effect of just knowing like who's picking up the blitz here and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like if you're getting tight end help, running back help. And um, just, I, I think the way that they've had to kind of adjust on the fly has, has led to some breakdowns in protection and they've been a solid overall and in pass protection, but um, we've definitely saw like later in the season when Frank started to get his legs back up from underneath them. Uh, USF game is a great example. There are a couple times where pocket collapse, he just takes off and hits the hole, and it's like, oh, that's the old Frank. Like we we have yeah. missed that for sure. Um, but I, I think at this point in time, you know, they've really improved. You know, not only in the communication and mental aspect for the offensive line, but also in Frank's ability to escape. Um, they got hit pretty hard against Tulane, though. That was a really special defensive line, but I think Marshall's is, is right there with them as far as talent goes. So we'll see how things go on Tuesday. We're certainly hoping. You know, uh, Marshall knows that they've got to rush the quarterback. They've got to get to the quarterback and make try to make a seasoned quarterback like Frank Harris uncomfortable, and he's just a dual-threat guy. So you can't just say you get him off his spot and things bad things may happen. It just doesn't hold true with a guy that's played as much – high level football as as Frank Harris has. So, if there's a weakness to be exploited, we're going to try to exploit it. But let's talk about some of these other guys other than Frank Harris that uh these herd fans of ours, our audience needs to know about as we head in to face this Roadrunners offense. Who are those usual suspects for you guys every week? I think you you first need to look at the backfield. 
UTSA has got quite a tremendous three-head monster at running back. Um, that's going to be between Kavorian Barnes, Rocco Griffin, and Robert Henry. Um, those three guys, I mean, you're talking about any one of them could be the starting runner back starting running back at, at, at any G5 in the country, I think, um, even the top level of it. And they're cycled pretty well throughout the game, and they continue to have fresh legs all four quarters. Three guys that can run the ball extremely ferociously. Um, so that's um, it, 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 it's something that's incredible. Rocco Griffin is, is an SEC talent. He's a transfer from Vanderbilt. Robert Henry is actually a guy that we got from the JUCO ranks, but he's, I mean, just sort of blossomed in, in, into an absolute beast. Uh, Kavorian Barnes, he is a, a Texas guy who really sort of uh, had his coming out party last season. Um, immediately thrusted from uh, just being a retro freshman last season, had his coming out party into being uh, probably the, the captain of the, of the running back unit. Um, he was a single-digit guy that's uh, one of the you know UTSA accolades within the locker room is to get voted a single digit number kind of designates you as a captain um he got that as a red shirt song which is pretty impressive uh and this year he's kind of had a different role think we didn't have this, this trio last season in the backfield so so this year he, he's kind of he's gotten a little bit heavier he's, he's a bigger back he's a different type of back and now these three different guys kind of each do something special each do something different in what they bring so that's um that's probably the first place that you guys need to look is, is, is a running back room. All three of those guys poised to, you know, combine for 150 plus yards on any given game day for UTSA's offense. Um, now, there's one receiver, and, and, and I'll let Jared kind of shout out all the receivers here, but there's one receiver in particular that I want to talk about, and that's Tyke Ogle Kellogg. Uh, he was one, he's the one guy that is on the box score from UTSA's 2018 contest against Marshall, uh, where we lost 23-0 to in West Virginia. It was absolutely brutal. And he has actually found sort of his, his footing here with the Roadrunners. He's been on the roster for a long time, just as long as Frank Harris. Um, and he's been getting snaps for even longer than Frank, you could say. And it, it, it took him a little while. You know, we had really high expectations from him coming in. And then UTSA's wide receiver room got really, really crowded. And he was more of a mid-level receiver for our, our locker room rather than one of the top-level guys, I suppose. This year, by way of injury, by way of force into it, he's taken a bigger step into a bigger role. But he also does a lot of lunch panel stuff. You know, you'll see him get downfield and throw a block 20 yards downfield for Joshua C is coming down for 15 yards, yard after uh, 15 yards after a catch or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's a real beast, man. Uh, Tyke Yogo Kellogg, a, a wide receiver, he's the one guy that re remembers this Marshall Herd team probably better than anybody else on UTSA <laughs> offense. Let me tell you what sticks out to me about uh, Kellogg, uh, Ogle Kellogg. 30 receptions on the season, but tie or has the t second most touchdowns from a receiving standpoint with seven. Cephas mm. has more than double, almost, almost triple the amount of receptions, but just two more touchdowns receiving. So that tells me Ogle Kellogg has a knack for the end zone, and that's not something I like to see as a Thundering Herd fan. But He's a really interesting player. He'll, he'll have a very, very, very quiet game and, like, 
you'll start getting texts. Hey, is, T- is Heike playing? I haven't really seen him catch a pass or anything. And the next thing you know, 40-yard bomb down the field. <laughs> he just somehow finds a way to get into the end zone. He's all or nothing, man. Boomer bust. But like Adrian said, he has a huge impact blocking. He, he's really taken on that role. Uh, he's a guy that he kind of struggled to find. You know, they always said he had maturity problems, and that's why he wasn't playing a whole lot. Uh, but he really took on that leadership role. UTSA lost. Um, a, a guy that we were pretty certain was going to be an NFL receiver in JT Clark. He had a really bad knee injury against UAB last season. Had a couple setbacks this year. So they were missing that kind of big X receiver that could go out and run those kind of possession routes and, and block. And Tyke just literally that game that JT went down. Tyke stepped up and he's been a different player since then. So it's been really cool to see a guy that UTS fans really root for a lot because we've been following his career as long as, as Frank Harris, you know. Um, but some other weapons I wanted to shout out. I mean, I think people are probably familiar with Josh Cephas. If, if you've done any kind of research on the Roadrunners, um, he's a guy who's been at UTSA for a long time since he was a freshman. Uh, he's been a big contributor, and he's, you know, a lot of the offense was for him in the past game. He's over 1,000 yards receiving on the year, nine touchdowns, 87 yards per game. I mean, he's he's super instrumental. Um, he could play both inside and outside a slot and out wide. Last year, he was primarily a slot and just kind of moved him around a little bit this year to get him more involved in the offense. But uh, he's a really good player. He's great after the catch. Uh, we always call him the yak god. He he he's take that slant around to the house like it's nothing, you know. Um, a young guy that's really emerged as a starter this year is Devin McEwen. So he's a guy who chose UTSA for a lot of Power 5 interest and offers. Uh, he had a really great relationship with Jeff Trailer, uh, going back for well. And uh, he, we haven't seen his best ball yet, but he he's a great player. And uh, he can get open on go routes, like, super, super easily. He's really fast. Still putting together, I think, the finer parts of the position, you know, the technique and all that. Um, so it's, it's been cool to watch him develop. And then last guy I want to mention is the starting tight end, Oscar Cardenas. Uh, you guys probably will not see another tight end like Oscar Cardenas ever. He's like 285 pounds. Uh, he's essentially an offensive tackle. That's a legal receiver. Just a massive dude. Uh, obviously, he's primarily a blocker, uh, but he's got some pretty good hands, and he has a knack for coming up big in the clutch moments and just uh, just a lot of fun to watch because it's like watching you know a fat guy touchdown every time he touches the ball. <laughs> All right. While we're talking about this offense, I need to know really quickly on your running backs, uh, their running style. If uh, one is more of a power back or or just what are we going to see when we see these different uh, running backs in? And then you touched on it with the receiver uh, talking about yards after catch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you would tell us about those guys, too, if they are going to be more uh, – catch in the end zone because they've outran and gotten behind the defense or if they're going to be elusive and get the ball in the slot or make some moves and yards after catch lead to touchdowns if you would yeah so Kavoy Barnes is probably going to be your power back now he's, he's our bigger guy he's a little bit girthier than the rest of them a little bit stockier um and he's and he's downhill Man, and uh, he's he's really hard to tackle and bring down. He's so low to the ground, low center of gravity, and his legs turn, turn, turn. I mean, we've saw we, we've seen him run through entire offensive lines on the goal line, um, and, and just sort of keep bouncing and bouncing and bouncing until he penetrates to the next level. And so, yeah, he's he's a really really hard ball carrier to to bring down, and he gets the lion's share of the carries, right? So, Cavoy and Barnes is is what you're going to see first, what you're going to see the most of. Um, Robert Henry, I suppose, is probably more so of, of your speedster back. Um, he's he's quick downfield. Uh, he's he, and, and he has a, a really really fast kind of first step that he's able to take whenever he hits a hole. Um, so he's the kind of the guy that you got to catch or keep up with, if you will. And I think 
Rob Griffin is sort of that dynamic back, right? Sort of that hybrid just kind of, kind of blends it all together, man. Um, he can do different things to you. Um, he can be patient and sort of watch things. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably the most cerebral out of all of them. And, again, he was an SEC talent, by over for Vanderbilt. So, Rocco Griffin, probably the most dynamic of the running backs. Um, I don't know, Jared, would you say that's probably more or less? Yeah, I think, you, I think you so. I, mean, I think for Griffin, what separates him from me is his, he's like a one-cut runner, right? He's super patient in the hole. UTZ runs a lot of inside zone, outside zone. So, he's really good about waiting for that hole to come. And then mm-hmm. he takes that cutback angle. And then he's got enough speed to take it for the house. I mean, that's that's what's really stood out to me. Uh, he's he's a lot more solid in pass protection as well, so I'll have him in on third down pretty often. But um, he's uh, pretty well like uh, securing the ball. Robert Henry had a couple of fumbles throughout the year. Same for Kiborian Barnes. So uh, they all have their their strengths for sure. It's a really great unit. Sounds so, like we've got our work cut out for us here, Russ. I mean, uh, I've I've been looking at the stats. I know I want to hear about these receivers, but I went as you were talking and giving me the lowdown like of style I'm, I'm over here checking stats and i'm like great three guys all over 440 yards on the season with frank yeah. harris not far behind with 320 yeah no big deal just a I mean, just a highly lethal <laughs> rushing attack that we've got to face here the, the 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 lowest average yards per carry is robert henry with 4.9 uh yeah. Kavorian barnes averaging five rocco griffin averaging five and a half uh, it's it's pretty ridiculous stuff coming out of the backfield, man. Really ridiculous. And, and Henry's uh, when I was looking at the game logs, Henry's actually went down. He he was well over the five yard mark in the last yeah, four he, games. He was hanging out at eight yeah. for half the season. Yeah, yeah. He, he, <laughs> yeah. His his went down. Uh, but the production with the touchdowns and everything didn't go away. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. that the yards for per carry and some of those. If you're giving the ball on the four yard line. That's or the two yard line that's going to bring your average down when you're averaging six or seven coming into those final few weeks. But yeah, we do have our work cut out trying to stop this run. So yeah. back on track with the pass game. Are we looking at more of a of a vertical pass game or is this more of a you know short pass and make a move run to daylight type thing for UTSA? I think they do a bit of both. To be honest with you, um, they do a lot of run pass options, and on those run pass options, they're usually looking for. Um, you know, like a like a dig or a curl or something like that, and and those usually go to Cephas because Cephas has that ability to make that first guy miss and and get the big pickup. Um, but then if you look at like Devin McEwen and uh, Taiki Ogokolog, like we mentioned, like those guys are are really good downfield. You know, like your corner routes, your post routes, your go routes. Um, those are where those guys are going to look to get involved. And then you know they'll they'll flare it out a little bit into the flats. They like to run bubble screens. Um, all those receivers are great blockers. That's been a great characteristic of wide receivers under Jeff trailer. And I would say that's a good indication of a strong offensive line with a, or sorry, of a strong offense with a good culture is when your receivers block as if like they are the ball carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been cool to see. So they're definitely going to do some dump outs out there. And, and those are pretty solid plays with the road runners. Um, so really very mixed. Uh, I, I would say like probably more medium, a short range, but they do take those deep shots um when those plays are available yeah well let's let's flip the side of the ball right because uh, it's not just all about the offense for utsa they field a very very strong defense and unfortunately yes we're going to lead with this we are not immune to the transfer portal we saw utsa and American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year linebacker Trey Moore announced he was going into the portal. That was kind of a big deal, especially for herd fans, because, hey, we're about to face these roadrunners. But we know that the the cupboard is far, far from bare for this uh, UTSA defense. So 
Give us some insight on probably the biggest impact players that will suit up on Tuesday to try to slow down Rasheen Ali, to try to get to Cole Pennington, to try to bring down these receivers as soon as a pass is completed. Who are those guys that, that Marshall fans really, really need to know about? Trey Moore was so good that he got so much spotlight, deservedly so. But if he was not on this team, I mean, there would be a slew of guys getting mentioned whenever you're talking about the UTSA defense just all the time, regularly. But because Trey Moore was so good, when you talk about UTSA defense, you talk about Trey Moore, right? Um, and so now I think you're really going to see the, how, how the rest of this defense is so good, even in his absence. And a lot of these guys are going to get their shine. A lot of these guys are going to get their run. So I, I would I would start with um, – Linebackers, Maury Robinson and Donye Taylor, of course. Uh, both those guys are absolute stud. They're uh, they're second and third behind Trey Moore for tackles for loss for UTSA. Um, there's there's also a freshman at uh, linebacker Owen Peewee, who is who is extremely good. Uh, whenever we look at the defensive line, I think you can mention Brandon Matterson. I think you can mention Brandon Brown. And you can mention uh, Nick Booger Brown. I mean, there's just a ton of names on here. Ty Leonard I think is also worth mentioning. Younger guy, an underclassman. There's so much talent and depth, depth really across this defense. It's almost like where do you start? Um, but at linebacker and at defensive line, we're, we're still really stacked even in Trey Moore's uh, absence. Um, but at linebacker specifically, you're going to see Maury Robinson, you're going to see Donnie Taylor a lot. Um, I think those are, are two names that Marvel fans are going to get pretty familiar with by the time you know the end of this ballgame rolls around. Uh, and then as far as up front goes, heck, I would probably say Brandon Matterson. I'll probably say Brandon Brown, um, the two to look at the most. Yeah, the UTSA uh, interior defensive line is much like Marshall's, where they're, they're three deep at every position, and, and they're going to have fresh legs in that fourth quarter. And that's made a difference in a lot of games for the Roadrunners like these past two years, right? Like that offensive line starts to get worn down, and then they bring in, like, you know, like Adrian said, Ty Leonard is a good example. You know, they'll put him in a nose tackle, and he's like six foot four, 270, uh, quick, long off the ball man tough matchup right um so i think obviously you're not going to replace a player like trey moore he's an nfl talent you know one of the best ever do it at utsa but i do think that there's enough talent um up there up front for utsa where they'll be okay um and, and be able to get pressure on the quarterback and i think also facing a freshman quarterback uh you're a little bit more willing to throw some blitzes at him um, UTSA actually does not do a lot of like six, seven man blitzes. They tend to just do four or five, right? Because Trey Moore's going to get to the quarterback every time. So that's one thing I'm looking out for in particular is how many times are they going to blitz like safeties and cornerbacks off the edge and a really challenge Pennington to make that right read and find the open man. Wow. Okay. It's, uh, the task just does not get any easier guys. I'm, 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 I'm appreciating the information, but I am not, um, uh, Looking forward to the matchups, the individual you just fall, fall back on that 0-4 bowl record, and that'll give you all the hope you need. <laughs> I, I, I can't do that, right? I can't yeah. do that because the 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 X's and O's guy, the matchups guy, Russ and I are big matchups guys. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking at where things can be exploited, it starts to get worrisome because you can't always block all the people all the time, right? And we all know it only takes one. And it, it only takes one clean shot and the whole game changes, right? Or, or one strip sack or one whatever. So this is just a really strong team. And I want herd fans to recognize that 
Marshall drew a really strong opponent, a really strong opponent, a team mm -hmm. that has been uptrending for a number of years, 11 wins, 12 wins, big time win totals over the last couple of years, and didn't really lose that much of a step with a conference leap, right? Eight and four record is real, quite very respectable considering you're one game away from playing for a championship, right? And none of us are immune from transfer portal stuff. It's happened to the herd. It's happening to UTSA. And I think that's the ultimate wild card when it comes to these bowl games, because now we don't know who's necessarily going to play, who mm -hmm. does play, where are they going to be playing? How, in fact, how impactful are they going to be? And how is the hell is everything else going to mesh together to see what you really have? I don't even, I'm not sure either of these teams, you guys probably have a better idea of what you have. I haven't seen that much coming out of UTSA as far as opt outs or portal stuff. Marshall's a little bit of a different story. Uh, Russ, what, what's next on the agenda for these guys, man? They're giving us all the goods. We talked about offense. We talked about defense. Now let them tell us about their kicker that is 100% from extra points and only missed two field goals on the year and has a 53-yard for his long. So your kicking game obviously is strong, but what else can we look for in this special teams? Yeah, well, Chase Allen – one of the most underrated transfer portal pickups that UTSA's had since the, the portal opened. Man, uh, he came in from Alabama, and UTSA didn't have any established kicker, and he stepped in and, and has had an absolute amazing season. Um, but one of Adrian's favorite players is punter Lucas Dean. Uh, we actually had his parents on the podcast one time. He's one of those Australian punters, so we got to hear their story about their history playing Australian rules football and how that translated in him coming to UTSA as a punter. Uh, he actually broke both of his legs in the offseason and somehow <laughs> has had every punt for UTSA <laughs> this year. Um, so just like how Frank Harris somehow got healthier throughout the year just because he was in such bad shape at the start, we've seen the same for Lucas Dean. His punts were definitely not as powerful early in the season. And then we like in the Troy game, he had some really booming ones, right? So he, he's coming along pretty well. Uh, his guy that's been an all-conference punter, I think, twice. One, once in Conference USA and once... Uh, mm -hmm. I think, it, yeah, I know it's the twice conference you say now I think about it, uh, but really strong punter, you know, if, uh, if they, the Marshall defense gets a lot of stops on UTSA, I think the offense is not going to find themselves in great field position, um, especially with Lucas playing his last game, um, on the return side, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Chris Carter is the return specialist and he is a home run threat for sure. He's a Colorado transfer really fast four four forty kind of guy. Uh, but he has also made some mental mistakes for sure throughout the season, uh, notably against Tulane, the first two kickoffs, uh, he took out for uh, pretty poor returns when should have been a fair catch, right? So that was like, between those two, that was like negative 30 yards if you assume that you would have got the free 25 on the fair catch. Um, and then he's muffed a couple punts, you know, stuff like that. So he was a bit of a wild card, but he does have the ability to take one to the house. Um, first player in program <laughs> history to have a punt return touchdown and a kick return touchdown, so... Well, I think the, weapons, the most important the question just don't stop, guys. They don't stop. I'm not liking this. I got to be honest with you. I think the most important question here is did he break both legs at the same time or was this two different <laughs> yeah. accidents? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. <laughs> a it, it was a weight room injury. So Holy moly. I, I don't trying to deadlift too much and both legs snap. I don't know. We don't know the details on that. It's highly suspicious. I, I would agree with you. Uh. I don't even want to talk oh. about that anymore. No. I, I, I just got a visual, right? Oh, I'm visualizing sorry. No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And to come back and be a high-performing punter, I mean, give, give give the guy the – create an award to give him because that's an amazing story, right? A, a single-season turnaround there like that. 
Um, what are you feeling for the game, guys? Like, A, I guess, are you going? I will not be going, obviously. Uh, I Even though I am a huge herd fan and do this podcast, I currently reside in Tampa, Florida. So it's not where I'm going to be headed uh, next week. Also, for another completely separate reason, December 19th is locked on my calendar for infinity because it is my youngest son's birthday. So I will not be leaving town for that. Are you guys making the trip? I'm a game time decision. Jared already has his ticket security at hotel secured. I may, may not. I have a I have a wedding in San Antonio on Saturday. I also I have a newborn. Uh, well, he's six months or five months now, going on six. Um, so I maybe be able to do like the, just overnight trip there and come back the following morning. That's what I'm trying to do. I, I might be able to finagle it. We'll see how it goes. I had you. I give, I give you permission. I give you permission. <laughs> Adrian had you as doubtful, so you've been upgraded. That's good. I'm, I'm okay. waiting for for, for, for the good news. Um, I will be there. So there's, there's been a lot of debate across the USA fan base if like getting the Frisco Bowl was like disrespectful or or whatever. Uh, for mm. some reason, people are really hung up on it being a soccer stadium. Uh, but I had a really good time the last time I went to the Frisco Bowl. I'm actually wearing my Frisco Bowl t-shirt. <laughs> so I'm a Frisco Bowl guy. Uh, but I'll be there. Uh, and I'm I'm just taking a half day off work. I, I live in Houston, right? So it's it's a little bit of a drive. But um, I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see like a complete sellout of the stadium by any means. But I think UTSA will travel pretty well. I think with it being Frank Harris's last game, I think it's going to bring a lot of people that are on the fence for sure. Um, I think the Roadrunners are going to show up and play a pretty good game. I think they're very focused. Um, I, I'm expecting the team to be at full strength other than Trey Moore, obviously. Um, I They've been talking about winning that first bowl game like all year long. Like pretty much since they lost to Houston, New York, New York 6 was out the window. Ranked season is probably out the window. They still have the chance to compete for conference championship, but they started talking about winning the bowl game like in September, right? Mm-hmm. So I really think they're really, really, really going to go all out for this one. Um Coach Trailer has said this is he does it's not a development opportunity for the young guys like they're trying to win the game, so I think they're going to come out fired up and uh, I, I think the Roadrunners going to win by a couple scores. It's just a tough tough position for Marshall to be in. Um, I agree with you guys. It's, it's an unfair draw I think for Marshall uh, to get an eight win team that you know nearly won the AAC. Uh, but my message is to blame Liberty because uh, if Liberty didn't get the New Year six spot, it would have gone to SMU. And then UTSA would have been in like the Fenway Bowl or something like that against Power Five teams. So we can find a common common enemy there. I don't want to get started on that. I they know, they, I they know, laid the wrong blueprint for how to get the the NY six slot. Yeah. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I got a couple more for you, and then uh, we're gonna get out of here. If Russ doesn't have anything, you guys have been great and so giving with your time. Uh, I was gonna ask if you had a score prediction, but I'm not gonna pin you to that, so that's okay. Um, I guess then maybe I only have one more for you. Off the wall question. I haven't asked anybody of any of our guests before, but I want to do it now. Uh, who's your all time favorite player that has played for Marshall? If you have one. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to pick Rakim Cato, but I'm trying to remember a running back that you guys had that he was pretty much a fullback. He was a huge dude. Oh, you got to be talking about Rockhead, yeah, man. Jones. Yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah you got to be talking Johnson. about him. That's a yeah. Conference USA era back. He was yeah. he was amazing. Uh, by the way, Rakeem Cato, military bowl jersey right over the shoulder there. I'm amazing. a big fan as well. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep it in the modern era, no, so to speak. And I mean modern era and like Conference USA era. Adrian, if you've got an old schooler, let me have it. I'm waiting on somebody to say the big dog here. I'm waiting. Well, it's it, it's hard because that's sort of the marshal that, that, that UTSA fans got to 
become familiar with, right? I mean, we got into Conference USA in, 20, in 2013. You guys won Conference USA, I think, the following year, 2014. You were perennial contenders for the, the Eastern uh, Division of the mm-hmm. conference, right? And so, I mean, th- th- that's really like the class of martial football that, that, that we really got to know and love. Kato was going to be my answer. And, and to be honest with you, what, what, what makes me bad for being the historic guy is because I didn't pay a whole lot of attention uh, to the college football landscape prior to UTSA getting a football team and, sure. and me being at UTSA. So I'm not well-versed enough on historic martial football to to give you that that goat answer, it sounds like you've got like a a, a golden ticket waiting for. Well, this they, they have a bunch of they have a bunch of lands, right? Like, I mean, I I think y'all should be happy that we didn't say Randy Moss, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Ryan B out there, man. That guy was yeah. good. Oh yeah, I like that's it. The Ryan B reference. I was waiting on Adrian to give me the Randy Moss because that's the Randy go-to Moss. that everybody says, right? But uh, <laughs> now I've never asked that question before, and I find that to be an intriguing. Answer, you know, if, if you would nail me down with that same question, my, my answer would be Frank Harris because he's been such a high performer for a long time. The guy's got to own every quarterbacking record that you have at UTSA. Yeah, yeah. He has to own it. He's just well, he's been, been so there half of, half of the time that they've been existing. It's kind of what I was going to say, but he's just been so fun to watch for a number of years. And you know, when I catch games, you know, I still – I've got friends that uh, are at Western Kentucky. So, you know, even – even I was watching when you guys would play the Hilltoppers, and and there's been some classics against mm-hmm. the Roadrunners and the Hilltoppers. So I've seen more than my fair share of uh, Roadrunners games, I would say, yeah. for a hey, non-Roadrunner uh, fan. Frank Harris is 2-0 against Bailey Zappi. We'll never forget that. See? There you go, man. Yeah, what, wasn't he undefeated against Donovan McNabb? They both played at the same time, too. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Uh, guys, we're going to get you out of here. I tell you what, you guys have been so great and so giving. Tell everybody where they can find the autumn, the uh, Alamo Audible. You can find them on Twitter, at Alamo Audible. That's actually our username across all of social media, so that's Instagram as well, and Facebook, which has usernames, uh, at Alamo Audible. That's where we're going to be, but you can also really find all of our stuff on our website. We highly recommend you go to our website, www.alamoaudible.com. Check us out there. Check out the blog content, the football content. We have other sports that we cover there as well. Baseball, we really have a lot of content around baseball. Um, and we've got our team shop. So, you know, if you've got a favorite Roadrunner fan that you want to send a Christmas gift to, yeah, go for it. Or check out the Audible merch store uh, for whatever you need there. And uh, KD, I did have a score position that I gave on our regular episode yesterday. So I guess I'll go ahead and give it to you. Sure. But I do have UTSA covering the spread pretty generously. Um, I think the offense comes out firing in Frank Harris's last game. Uh, UTSA, we've got to watch out, uh, and, and UTSA fans should really appreciate what they're seeing um, in Rashid Ali running the ball one last time for Marshall. Um, Marshall fans should really appreciate what they're seeing. Frank Harris one last time command UTSA's offense. They're going to be firing. I got 40 to 13 roadrunners. That's also Ooh. the over on a 52 Man. and a half point Ooh. over under. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Disrespect is real. <laughs> okay. All right. I got it. I can take it. it I dig it. Um, guys, thank you so much for your time. Russ, nothing left to do, but take us out of here. Yeah. Whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the cam or whether you see us wherever you're going to see us watching this game on Tuesday, 9 PM against UTSA. Everywhere you see us, we're going to be saying go herd. Go herd. This is Thundercast. We'll see you next week with a recap later. <laughs>